Amanjika, Haramai. Welcome to Voices of Regen, a place for unapologetically bold conversations about regenerative business. Call Claire Wild, Tokangwa. My name is Claire Wild, and today is the final episode in our five-part Earthshot series, which is highlighting and celebrating the Earthshot Prize. Now, the Earthshot Prize is centered around five Earthshots, which are simple but ambitious goals for our planet. And if we achieve these by 2030, then these Earthshot goals will improve life for us all and generations to come. If you'd like to know more about the Earthshot Prize, then we've got a whole podcast episode explaining what it is and why we're getting excited about it at Voices of Regen. So um, if you haven't, if you'd like a bit of a background, then whip back to our podcast page and find that episode. Um, now, today we're diving into the fifth Earthshot, which is called Fix Our Climate. Now, this Earthshot aims by 2030 that we choose to fix the world's climate by cutting out carbon, which means building a carbon neutral economy that lets every culture, community and country thrive. So it's a pretty hefty goal we've got there. And to explore this in more detail, we're really excited to be welcoming Claire Buchanan. So you've got two Claire's on the podcast today, who will be telling us a little bit more about her work. And we'll also be exploring how the agricultural sector can help to achieve this earth shot and fix our climate. So Claire, we might jump to you now. And um, could you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your work? Hi, yeah, so um, I'm an environmental scientist and I've been working in New Zealand's ag industry for over eight years now. Uh, previously, I was consulting for farmers and helping them with their environmental compliance, so nutrient loss management and farm environmental plans. And I also spent a little bit of time working at the Lincoln University Dairy Farm. Um, so then for the past two years, I've come back to work for my family business, Align Farms, as the head of environment. So. I'm focusing on the environmental compliance of our six dairy farms and two support blocks, um, but my main focus has been on this regenerative agriculture trial we've been running uh, for the past season. Yeah. Awesome. That sounds like you've got some really cool work happening in the pipeline, and I'd love to hear a little bit more about that trial um, as we go through the podcast and the conversation. So my next question is what regeneration means to you? So, you know, where do you see regeneration tying into the work that you do and also the agriculture sector more broadly? Um, yeah, so to me, regeneration is all about restoring and sustaining ecological health. So um, from the agriculture sector, I think the focus really is around soil and um, restoring it to its natural function uh, and working with nature as opposed to yeah trying to fight against it constantly. Um, so on... Yeah, our farms, as I said, we started experimenting with regenerative agriculture practices four seasons ago. And after our first season, we were quite pleased with the results. Um, yeah, we're putting in diverse pastures and not using any synthetic fertilizer. Um, so we were quite encouraged and we continued down um, that path. In our second year, there was quite a bit of um, commotion and you know talk in the ag space about regenerative agriculture being a mythology and saying there's no science behind it. And um, you know a lot of criticism from some of the uh, more established ag scientists that do have, you know, a great history and um, incredible credentials behind them. So we thought it would be a good opportunity um, to kind of trial this work a bit better and give data to New Zealand farmers to see if these systems that have been working overseas could work in the New Zealand context. Um, so yeah, what we ended up doing was splitting one of our farms in half. So we have one half in diverse pastures 
regenerative system. It took us um, yeah, a couple of seasons to get to the 50-50 split. So we have one herd, the two herds separate, one herd on the regenerative side, one herd on the conventional side. And we're trying to compare all outcomes looking at environmental, social, financial, animal health, um, and environmental. So yeah, it's been really exciting and we've we've learned a lot. So this is our first year. We just finished our first season of doing a full trial. It took us, as I said, it took us a few years to get to the split. Um, and we've been really pleased with the results. Uh, we have had no synthetic fertilizer on some of our paddocks for three seasons, or coming up on our fourth season now, which is incredible. Um, and you wouldn't be able to tell from looking at the paddocks they don't look like they're hungry for nitrogen. Um, the diversity is really doing an amazing job at providing that the um, yeah productivity that we would like to be seeing. Um, so yeah, I think it's quite exciting. I think there's a lot of promise for this sort of farming in New Zealand. We're already grass-based. It's not a huge, you know, we don't have to shift from intensive feedlot farming to a grass-based system. You know, we're already a lot, a lot of the way there. So it's just um, demonstrating to farmers that you know you can run these farm systems while still being a profitable commercial business. Yeah, cool. And I love um, something that I think gets missed out a lot in conversations around sustainability is that intersection between you know environmental issues and you talked about you know like financial performance and um, animal health and all that kind of stuff. And I think it's really easy to look at um, issues or um, you know topics in isolation, and it's so cool to hear that you're looking at you know a whole bunch of things as a whole which I think is really important and one point that you touched on that I'd love to explore a bit more um, is soil health I think this is something I get really excited about but I know that uh, understandably a lot of people have never particularly thought about soil or uh, are, are on board with why soil is cool and amazing and I'd love to hear if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, so I've definitely been on this journey myself as well, discovering and learning um, a lot more than I was uh, told in university. So, and I think, you know, our understanding as a species of this is growing, you know, um, there's a microbiome in our gut. We've only just learned, started to learn about that and that there's a microbiome also in the soil and there's microbiomes everywhere, but we'll focus on the soil. So when you know you put heavy machinery or cultivate soils or you are putting um, synthetic chemicals into soils that all impacts um, the soil biology and the function of the soil food web you know you've got bacteria and you've got fungi but then you also have protozoa and all these microinvertebrates that are creating this uh, nutrient cycle where you know they're food for one and then the excrement actually is nutrients that can feed the plants and you know that's how we have forests and that's how we have all these you know natural plants without having to add fertilizer all the time like there are natural systems that exist um, that allow these these functions to happen so it's quite exciting and cool and we're still it's sort of some people consider soil the next the final frontier you know there's so much that we don't know about it there are so many species that are undefined and we don't know the function that they're serving in the soil or um, the benefits that they're providing. So I think, yeah, we have a huge amount to learn in this space and it's quite exciting and shows um, the opportunity there. And then from a climate perspective, fungi is incredible at storing carbon. So if we can get these soil biology and the soil food web functioning effectively, then we can um, start, store, to start to store more carbon in the soil. And that will obviously reduce the carbon in the atmosphere, um, which we're striving for. So yeah, regenerative 
farming is all about um, accelerating that process of, of accumulating carbon in the soil. So you're managing the stock in a way that increases the accumulation by um, trampling some of the organic matter back into the soil and this um, yeah just increases the accumulation feeds the soil biology and um, can increase the accumulation of carbon over time um, so that's something that we're definitely striving to do on our farms and uh, we measured we measured the our baseline carbon last season so we'll go again in five years it takes it's quite volatile and they say it takes about five years to um, notice a significant change so we're quite excited to yeah, see the, the progress that we make there. That's so cool. Um, and with respect to improving the quality of the soil, you've mentioned that it helps to take carbon out of the atmosphere, which of course is really great for fixing our climate, but I'm super interested if there are any other benefits that you're seeing of um, that regenerative style of farming beyond just reducing carbon out of the atmosphere. Yeah, well, an added benefit of adding um, organic matter or carbon to the soil is that it increases uh, the water holding capacity of the soil. So this in turn can reduce our need for irrigation. Um, in New Zealand, we have plenty of water, but you know there's issues with how it's distributed. And I think in Canterbury, especially if we can reduce our irrigation um, usage, that'll be uh, positive for the environment as well because you know it, it takes electricity to irrigate a farm yeah it's so interesting and i think again this ties into that whole concept that a whole bunch of sustainability issues are all linked together and that regenerative farming is one way to benefit a whole bunch of different topics all at the same time which is so important like you talked about um you know then you just talked about electricity use and water use <laughs> and um yeah very, very exciting to see. Yeah, I definitely think we need to take a holistic uh, viewpoint when it comes to addressing, you know, the human's impact on the planet. We can't just focus in on one area. There's, you know, a huge range of impacts that we're having and we need to address them all. <laughs> mm. One other thing on that note is earlier in the conversation, you mentioned that regenerative farming had received a bit of criticism and that perhaps a few people may have thought that regenerative farming wasn't all it was cracked up to be. And I'd be really interested to hear if you can do any myth busting around, you know, things you might have heard about regenerative farming that perhaps aren't quite so true. Um, yes, yeah, so I guess something that I've learned about soil science in general, you know, there's a lot of people say, um, when you add, when you're, you know, you're farming and you're taking nutrients away that you have to keep adding them back. So that if you're, if you're not adding fertilizer, it's not sustainable and eventually you're gonna um, mine your soils and that'll be it. This is an area that I'm really interested in kind of figuring out the truth in. Um, I think there's still a lot of work that needs to be done and I'm not saying that I have all the answers, but I think, you know, I've already spoken about the importance of soil biology and soil health, I think, if you go and look at a lot of the, so the soil science that has been done around fertilizer use, they're typically taking a soil sample, taking it into the lab, sterilizing it, and then running the tests on it. So yeah, maybe in that, in that scenario, um, a plant does a lot better with, you know, 100 units of nitrogen than it does without. But in a natural system where the soil biology is functioning properly and that symbiotic relationship between the plant and the fungi and bacteria exists, then I, I'm not sure if that would be the case. So I think 
a lot of the soil scientists that we rely on and a lot of the science that these scientists are, you know, saying, look, we've got 40 years of evidence saying this is the case. I think there may be a bit some flaws in our logic around that. So um, I'm really curious to see where this space goes. And one of the um, a scientist that I've learned under uh, Dr. Elaine Ingham, she's a, a scientist from the States. She and her colleagues have sampled soils around the world to try to determine, you know, what are the stores that are actually available in the in the soils? And if we were to mine them, you know, how long do we actually have? And she has said that there are in any soils that she has tested, it's at least a hundred thousand years worth of nutrients in these soils. And but in order for us to be accessing those, we need the the fungi and that soil biology to mobilize these nutrients and make them available for plants. So yes, if you are in a conventional system and you have not functioning soil biology and then yes you do need to have synthetic inputs but in a regenerative system with highly functional soil biology i think that there's a lot of room there for us to discover new possibilities yeah yeah interesting <laughs> i might be yeah. pulling this fact out of the sky but i'm sure <laughs> i heard somewhere that if humans were to rely on quote unquote conventional farming um so using yeah. a whole bunch of synthetic fertilizers fertilizers then we have about 60 harvests left does that number sound right that's, yes but i think that has more to do with just um the rate that we're losing topsoil not just mm. how many nutrients are in the soil i think people would say you only have you know five or six years of farming without fertilizer before you um, mine the soil but from a topsoil perspective yeah we globally we lose topsoil at an incredible rate um it's kind of distressing when you when you do read the stats. Um, can't really pull them out of my head right now, but it's significant. And yeah, that's another way that regenerative agriculture is a solution because there are farmers around the globe that are building topsoil at a rate far exceeding what anyone expected was possible. So that's exciting and yeah, it gives you a bit of hope. <laughs> yeah, and tell us more about why topsoil is important and also what topsoil um, is. <laughs> Yeah, so that's just the top layer of the earth, like when you're digging down um, and it's sort of, yeah, where where the life mostly would reside and most of the nutrients and plant roots would all be existing in the topsoil. You know, you got some deep rooters that will go deeper, but yeah, topsoil is pretty much what we rely on for food production. So it is very important. <laughs> right, so again, I think this really, really highlights how underappreciated soil can be the fact that we rely on soil for food production makes it sound pretty damn important and I think before when you were talking about I think your words were soil is sometimes seen as like the final frontier or you know yeah. something that we don't understand I think that seems absolutely wild to me that humans made it to the moon and we still hadn't quite figured out what we were standing on every day which is pretty <laughs> pretty intense um I'd really love to zoom out and take a bit of a bigger picture look at the agriculture sector more broadly and think about if we've got the agriculture sector on one hand and the climate crisis on the other hand what role do you think the agriculture sector can play in fixing our climate yeah well I think um it can play quite a significant role um as we discussed yeah if we can get all the soils on the planet functioning effectively, we could be storing a lot more carbon than we currently are. Um, and if we can build topsoil, like we were discussing, then um, yeah, that can even, we can accelerate that carbon storage. And I think, you know, 
globally, a lot of the ways that we are choosing to produce food are highly energy intensive and, um, you know, not sustainable if you're looking at it from a climate perspective. I think, yeah, there are huge changes that we need to everything as, as humans, but in agriculture specifically, you know, I think, um, you know, not shipping things around the world as much as possible. Like, you know, New Zealand's in a unique situation where we do produce an excess amount of food, but trying to eat locally produced food rather than, you know, saying that a beef, a piece of steak from New Zealand is gonna be worse for the environment than almond milk that it should have been shipped from California. I think, you know, we have to take a, a holistic perspective on it and not be so focused on just the, the carbon emissions. And even though that itself can be, you know, can can a bit contentious um yeah i think i think agriculture and as i said the regen can be the solution um with farmers storing more carbon and just you know working more with nature and not having these synthetic inputs that are also impacting biodiversity that's a different earth shop but um yeah so sorry rambling a bit um No, I think that was really, really yeah. interesting. Yeah. I just feel like I'm going all over the show and not on track. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's great. Um, I have to say this is sparking a whole bunch of thoughts in my mind. Yeah. I, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I studied this kind of stuff at university and then very promptly stopped doing it as a job. So I feel like I have the most shallow knowledge of this. Yeah. <laughs> Enough to say a few words, but that's about it. Um, yeah. One point that you touched on, which I think is super important, is that idea of local production and consumption. I remember yeah. being in Spain and seeing New Zealand kiwi fruit at a Spanish supermarket. And I found that ridiculous because I think if you look on a map, New Zealand is like polar opposite to Spain uh, across the globe. So it's like as far away as you can get. And it seemed so weird to me that nowhere in the world was closer to Spain than New Zealand where they could grow kiwi fruit and I was also thinking about how sometimes I can struggle to get a kiwi fruit intact to work in a bag let alone yeah. getting it across to Spain intact and so I think that mindset that society has got ourselves into where it's normal to transport food for wild huge distances seems pretty illogical and I think what you were saying around finding what we can grow locally and making sure that we're growing things that are suited to the environment around us is such an important part of addressing the climate crisis and realizing that the way we have been working over the last few decades has been getting more and more out of touch with what we need to sustain humanity quite frankly so I think that's such an important point. Yeah, definitely. And I think um, on that note, something that I just read yesterday, which I found quite interesting, um, it was about, you know, looking at the nutrient value of food as opposed to the carbon emissions per kilogram of that food unit, you know, um, and this was talking about milk, but it was saying, you know, the nutritional value of milk per unit of carbon emissions was about 1.07, whereas um, the nutrient value of almond milk per unit of nutrition was 0 0.04, you know? So we also have to realize the, the nutritional value of meat and milk and not villainize it to the extent that it is, especially when so many in the world are deficient in 
protein and even you know and on in New Zealand on our shores we've got people that are having um you know all sorts of health issues that may be related to their diet and you know we should be we need to really pay attention to nutrients and not just get tunnel focused on the carbon emission of of one kilogram of that food product <laughs> mm. and I think I've definitely seen I am sure that there is a brand of maybe oat milk where they it gets like shipped across to Europe somewhere in New Zealand and then shipped back and it feels pretty bizarre yeah um, yeah. yeah and I understand that you know not everyone can consume dairy but we shouldn't equate oat milk to dairy milk they aren't the same in terms of nutrition um, mm. and especially when it comes to you know providing nutrients to those in the developing world like we you know we we need to give them real nutrients yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely I think one point that I'm curious about um and again this is just something I've kind of heard through the grapevine that can work well and I'm interested to know if you have any views on it is this idea of growing um crops and farming animals on the same land I don't know if you have any experience or any thoughts with that kind of way of working and you know maybe why it might be a good way of doing things yeah so I think you if you are growing crops you definitely want to integrate uh, livestock into that operation because it'll just uh, as I said you can improve your organic matter and it's just a free source of nutrients and fertilizer um, so yeah I have done a bit of work with some regenerative farmers in New Zealand who use the sheep to come onto the farm strategically in between their cropping um, and it's it's yeah a great you know multi multi-purpose business and I think diversity as I said is very important on farm and what we're growing and that yeah and, and, and same with their ex, you know what they're producing on farm you don't want to just be producing one product because that leaves you quite vulnerable to climatic you know climatic conditions or you know increased fertilizer prices whatever you if you're only doing one thing you're a bit um yeah stuck whereas if you have many different uh, commodities that you're producing then if one is having a bad year then you're, you're going to be fine so we've definitely been looking at um, diversifying on our farms as well we are doing some beef cattle um and we've we grew hemp last year so we're hoping to do that again that was um, a fun experience and yeah even just things like honey and um this year as well we started a market garden on our farm which uh we're quite excited about it's been really i think inspired by COVID a bit and this discussion about you know we need to be eating food that's locally available and just improving our food security um, so yeah, we've got an incredible market garden that provides a veggie box to all of our team once a week, and then we're selling surplus to the uh, mid Canterbury community, which is quite nice. That's so cool. I love yeah. that idea. Um, and that reminds me as well of a friend I've got. This is again an international example, but she is Croatian, and she was back in Croatia a few years ago and said that she was blown away by how different their approach to using resources was over there so her example was that um if somebody had an olive grove at their house then they'd sell they'd make olive oil and sell it because there was no way that they were going to be able to use all of that olive oil by themselves and with their family and so the whole idea and the purpose of selling things was to make sure that everything got used it wasn't to start some olive oil empire or to aim for this eternal economic growth or anything like that. It was just about functioning as a society so that people were sharing resources amongst one another. And, you know, this idea of like money and exchange 
became a way of functioning, not a way of hoarding resources for yourself. <laughs> so I love yes. that idea of a, um, a market garden and, you know, using local resources and, um, and turning that into something productive um, for the local community. So I think that's excellent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's great cool. to hear stories like that from Croatia as well. You know, I think that's part of this fixing the climate is just fixing the way we operate as humans, you know, and coming back into community and connecting with one another and not being so indiv individualistic. Um, yeah, so it's great to hear that's happening overseas. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think definitely having this conversation with you, I know that the dairy industry in New Zealand has a lot of conversation around it. And I think um, I wonder to myself if part of that may have been because it's a very easy industry for people to perhaps farm in a way that's not so great and to have, you know, maybe more of a negative impact than it needs to have. And so it's really awesome to hear that you're exploring ways for the dairy industry to not, not only be a bit less bad, but also to actually give back more to our environment and make a positive contribution. So I think that is something that the world needs a lot, a lot more of. Yeah. Um, to wrap things up, we usually like to leave our listeners with practical actions that they can take to contribute to a regenerative world. So I'd love uh, to hear, you know, what practical steps you think our listeners can take to support regenerative agriculture or um, fixing our climate? Um, yeah, so I guess spending time listening to podcasts like this and just educating yourself so that you can then have conversations with your friends and colleagues and just kind of getting this conversation going and getting people aware that, you know, regenerative farming exists and th these options are out there. Um, I think if you can find farmers to support, then that's awesome. There definitely are farmers in New Zealand that are selling their products directly um, to like on the internet and through Instagram. Like if you do search, some options should come up, which is cool. Like I definitely um, am supporting a few farmers that way. Uh, there is, should be another like a regenerative brand or uh, sorry, regenerative like certification launching soon from the Savory Institute uh, called the Land to Market Program. Um, so that I think should be in, on shelves in New Zealand pretty soon. And then when you see that sticker, you know, by buying that product, you're supporting a farm that um, is farming regeneratively. Um, if you want to dig more, I guess some of my, my favorite scientists and researchers in this space, Diana Rogers, She's a nutritionist. She um, has debunked a lot of things about the plant versus animal argument. So I think she's really helpful um, of giving a more fair view to cows. Uh, Alan Savory and the Savory Institute, he's amazing. Elaine Ingham, I, I mentioned studying from her. Uh, Dr. Christine Jones, Nicole Masters. Yeah, there's amazing people out there doing amazing work. So um, just learning from them and trying to amplify these voices, I think would be a really good place to start and then yeah if you can uh lobby your mps or you know promote encourage us in any way um that's helpful as well yeah <laughs> awesome this sounds like there's so much that our listeners can do and, and get amongst in terms yeah. of supporting the region agriculture movement so i think this is really exciting to hear and we'll make sure to share a few helpful links as well in yeah, the show notes so people follow those and <laughs> start doing some stuff rather than just thinking about it um yeah, well Claire absolutely. it's been awesome to have you on the podcast today and thank you so much 
Uh, really looking forward to seeing how your work grows and evolves in future. Um, and thanks again to our listeners for, um, for tuning in today. We will see you on the next episode.